Hello and welcome to Note Up. This is the Coffee Scripter Coffee Scripter Show. We're gonna share some love amongst the Coffee Scripter active users and share some experience with everybody about you know, the real impact uh, of Coffee Script and you know go go from an insider's view. Today I'm joined by Spike Brem. Hi there. Uh, David Gutman. Hello. Brett Kiefer. Hi. And Sean McCullough. Hey. And today we're sponsored by Anyet Joint and Go Instant. Thank you for sponsoring NoteUp. So, high level, we're going to go through three phases of the coffee script evolution. We're going to go from the the past, you know, why everyone got it started using coffee script, the the present of how CoffeeScript is being used in all the, the various projects that are going on, and the future, what's coming in the CoffeeScript ecosystem, and what tools are making that more effective, and also some uh, anecdotal stories about when and why CoffeeScript might not be the answer for your project. So trying to, to create a balanced view, but definitely focus on in-practice um, story, taking a, a topic today that sometimes gets you know, a little bit political and we want to get a, a very balanced view. And uh, you know, we've got some great people that, that are really doing awesome stuff with CoffeeScript you know, sharing today. So, quick run through bios and, and introductions. Um, I'm Dan Shaw. I run the, the Node firm. We help businesses be successful with Node, get started, get trained, get supported, and do all that sort of stuff. Then I'm joined with Spike. Do you want to intro yourself, Spike? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, I'm an engineer at Airbnb. Been there for about three years. And I've been writing lots of JavaScript and Ruby. And I... Uh, was the first to introduce Node at Airbnb, and so it's been an interesting mm-hmm. ride uh, repping the Node JSs. Uh, and lately, I've been really into isomorphic JavaScript and uh, figuring out how to run the same code on both client and server. Nice, five dollar word. Yeah, <laughs> contentious word. Uh, so, David, David, could you? Uh, yeah, drill? sure. I'm, uh, I'm David Gutman. I'm the CTO at Interlinks. Uh, we are a machine learning based ad platform. Uh, I also run JSLA and DataViz LA and some other tech events in, in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, that's about it. Awesome. I'm Brett Kiefer. I'm a longtime member of technical staff at Fog Creek Software. I've been here about 10 years. And I work on the Trello team, uh, and our server, the, the Trello web server, is written in CoffeeScript on top of Node.js, um, and our client, our web client, is also CoffeeScript. So I work on both of those. Awesome, Sean. Uh, hey, I am a classicist uh, turned developer, and I do a lot of CoffeeScript's work here at Groupon. Uh, we just re, uh, there was a note up a couple episodes ago where we talked about transitioning uh, Groupon from Ruby on Rails to Node.js. Yeah, we said, so we've had uh, two great shows with both Sean and Brett. Definitely want to go back and check out the, the Groupon show. And uh, a little bit farther back, early on in the, the uh, NodeUp team story, Brett and the Trello team joined us and shared their experience there. So fantastic to sort of connect that back and have you guys participate in this, this coffee strip discussion. 
This is issue number two, one of the very first issues that were created on the uh, NodeUp Contribute GitHub repo. If there are topics that you want us to discuss on NodeUp, uh, go there. It's uh, github.com slash NodeUp slash contribute and submit an issue and we will uh, you know, pull in the people that you want to have a discussion with and talk about it. So before I get into our first topic and talk about the, the past and how everyone got into CoffeeScript, I want to say a couple words about our first sponsor, Andyet. So Andyet builds Node APIs and JavaScript SDKs for clients like AT&T, and uh, they also have their own product called Anbang. It's great stuff. It's a real-time chat and uh, task tool for teams that can access via the web. You can use IRC, or you can even roll your own using their extensive API. Check out the, the developer docs for that API, andbang.com. So while it's in uh, private beta, you can use the tool for free, and their API for Anbang works as both a REST API and as a Socket.io API. You know, the team at Anyet have been leaders for years in real time. They're responsible for one of the, the, the best conferences ever, keeping it real time and, and real time conf, and uh, have been fantastic contributors to the Node community. They are also doing fantastic things in the WebRTC space. They have a open source library called Simple WebRTC that if you're exploring WebRTC, you should uh, check out. And a sort of open Hangouts product called Talkie.io. Talkie.io. Use Talkie on Twitter. You know, fantastic project and dedicated to open communication and collaboration. And you, you can't leave out the security wing of Anyet as Lyft Security, responsible for you know security work at GitHub, 37Signals, and, and many other organizations, and the guiding force behind the Node Security Project. So thank you, Anyet, for continuing to support NodeUp, and thanks for doing all the awesome things that you do in the Node community and beyond. All right, let's go and kick things off about how we got started on CoffeeScript. I, I'm going to fill in you know, a moment's context because I'm, I'm almost irrelevant in this discussion, but I do have uh, some experience in CoffeeScript. So I've uh, done my duty, written some, some CoffeeScript. The Node Knockout website is written in CoffeeScript, so Contributing to that was all uh, in CoffeeScript. And then I managed the engineering team at Class Dojo, and Class Dojo is all CoffeeScript. So had a you know, more manager's view of the CoffeeScript experience rather than uh, uh, hands-on code. So who wants to go first? Let's, let's, pick, uh, let's pick Brett, talking about how we got started. Sure. Uh, so it was, um, I think, uh, early summer 2011, and we were, uh, we were working on Trello, um, getting it ready to ship. And uh, I decided that we were uh, not focusing enough on the tools that we were using. So I took a week and for a couple of hours each morning just worked on trying new tools that I thought could help us out. Um, and one day, uh, you know, the thing to explore was CoffeeScript. So I was looking at that, and I decided, okay, well, we can just port a couple of files over to CoffeeScript. And it's not going to be a huge deal to port them back, right? So I just ported a couple of files over and said, okay, let's, we're, we're doing this now. Just everybody see how you look, how, how these look, and we'll see how they work. 
um, with the rest of the code base. Um, and folks were looking at them and it was like, yeah, so we could work in JavaScript and, and have nice things too. Um, so that, that seemed like a, everybody liked it. Um, and that would have been uh, me, Daniel Lacheminant, uh, Ian Henry, and Aaron DeFore, all of whom still are on the Trello team. Everybody liked it. Uh, it, was, it was cool. Um, and, uh, you know, it gave us, you know, destructuring assignment, all the things that, you know, you'll be familiar with if you work uh, in CopyScript. And it just removed a lot of the warts from the code. It wasn't like somebody just took a, uh, you know, took a text generator that just spits function everywhere in your code. And, and so it's like, oh, that was out. So that felt nice. Um, and the code was shorter and we thought more readable. So, um, you know, so after those had been in for a couple weeks and weren't causing any trouble, um, we had our um, our interns, uh, and that would have been uh, Ian and Aaron, uh, start porting a bunch of the rest of the site to CopyScript. So that was kind of interesting. They got to see a lot of the code and, in fact, had, you know, rewritten a lot of the code uh, in that first couple of weeks of their internship, which, um, which ended up having some other like, good consequences uh, for the internship. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so that's how we got started, and we we haven't looked back much. Um, you know, there are a couple of gotchas uh, that people experience when they first start coding CoffeeScript. So we get to look. I think Daniel was talking about um, on a previous podcast how we get to seem super smart to our interns, and we're like, oh yeah, want to put parents around that list comprehension there, text. Um, you know, so that's that's fun. Um, but uh, you know, the, the gotchas haven't been bad, and uh, in general, we're still very pleased uh, with CoffeeScript. Awesome. What about you, David? So uh, I think my story might be pretty common. I, I, I think a lot of people who use CoffeeScript come from Ruby, which is definitely how it was for me. Sure, Ruby um, or, or Python are, are really big sort of funnels that, that send people that way. Yeah, CoffeeScript tends to be a, a combination of both of those right. those languages in a lot of ways. Uh, and so uh, I was actually looking back to fi- to find, you know, when did I first start using CoffeeScript? And I think the first thing I found was a uh, tutorial slash article I show uh, that I wrote on how to use CoffeeScript with processing JS, and uh, it made me remember what was going on. So. I, I actually uh, founded, uh, with a bunch of other people, uh, a company art collective called Sin Labs, and we did all kinds of interactive installations. And a lot of the stuff that I had done uh, was like sound reactive art. Uh, I had actually done a concert with Yoyama a couple of years ago, and everything that I, my part of that, it was all processing. And what, what's going to kind of bring this the thread that connects this is is I didn't like writing I didn't like writing Java, and so <laughs> I actually used JRuby to interface with uh, processing. With and so that was Ruby processing. And what's funny to even connect this further is that's a Jeremy <laughs> Ashkenaz pro- project. <laughs> and so I was using JRuby to write processing. And then at a certain point, it was you know processing JS came out, and I realized you know hey let's let's move away from the server and let's try and get everything into the browser because that's the future. And so I started porting a lot of my things over and. You know, CoffeeScript was there, and it just seemed like okay. Well, if I'm going to write Ruby to do processing, I may as well do CoffeeScript to do processing JS. Right. And then, uh, you know, I liked it a lot, and then started to use CoffeeScript instead of JavaScript in in more you know work projects and things, and it it's really stuck. Awesome. What about you, Sean? So I started using CoffeeScript 
uh, probably the same way Ruby on Rails was my, my biggest introduction, you know, for a while that was kind of the, the best practice was to write, you know, kind of post RJS era, um, you know, moving into later versions of Rails 2 and Rails 3. Um, that was part of the, the asset pipeline um, by default. Um, but, you know, I really started using it in Titanium Mobile. Have you guys ever mm-hmm. played around with that? Okay. So it's a, it's a JavaScript. It's basically an embedded JavaScript engine that um, links native UI toolkits for Android and iOS uh, into a JavaScript environment. So you can write JavaScript, and it kind of you know, allows you to manipulate native controls on uh, mobile applications. So I started writing. I, I had inherited an application, like a really messy JavaScript code base, uh, that was for a Titanium mobile app, and I ported it over to CoffeeScript just because that's what I was writing, and I've been using it ever since. And then when I when I joined Groupon, uh, Groupon has been using CoffeeScript for all of its front-end code for uh, quite a long time. Um, again, kind of time in a place where, you know, as Groupon was spinning up, that was like the best practice. Um, and, you know, CoffeeScript has had, uh, we have a real investment in CoffeeScript uh, at Groupon. Uh, we've actually been, uh, we hired Michael Ficarra, who's one of the contributors to CoffeeScript, and he authored the um, CoffeeScript Redux, which is the, supposed to be the 2.0 version of CoffeeScript. So uh, we've, been, we've been using it for quite a long time, and we're, we're very invested in continuing using it here at Groupon. Awesome. How about you, Spike? Yeah, sure. So... We started using CoffeeScript at Airbnb in, I think it was late 2011. And it was right about the same time we started using Backbone. Um, you know, Backbone was the new hotness, and we started using it for our mobile site. And there's kind of like the Oshkenaz factor, mm-hmm. you know, like, yep, totally. you know, use all the sexy Jeremy Oshkenaz tools. Um, and, you know, we're, we're a rail shop mostly, so it kind of made sense. Like, we, we could appreciate the, uh, the syntax. Um, but really, I think one of the main reasons we did it was just because, you know, we have to support older browsers and and we we couldn't use a lot of the ES5 stuff. Uh, and it, it really just helped to abstract out the browser differences. And it was just all about that, that class keyword. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, what, that's what really did it for us. Um, and so, you know, we still use it mostly for our, our all of our backbone apps tend to be in CoffeeScript, although... You know, we've got a giant code base that's been around for five or six years, so there's a bit of a split between JavaScript and CoffeeScript. Um, and our first Node.js app was written in CoffeeScript as well because we ported over that mobile site to run on the server, and so that was our, you know, our first uh, foray into Node. Although um, you know, a little bit later we could talk about how that's matured at our team and how that's changed, but that's, that's how we all got started. Excellent. So... What is the difference here between browser CoffeeScript and Node CoffeeScript for for the uninitiated? I guess we should put that context, or or maybe the, those who you know have dedicated CoffeeScript in one t- context or the other and looking to uh, consider the other. What what t- what changes when you're you're going back and forth between the browser and server side? I definitely say that CoffeeScript on the browser. There's there's a really strong use case there uh, because CoffeeScript is meant to compile to ES3. So it does everything safe for most browsers that are out there. Um, you know, and, it, and it defines a subset of JavaScript that you're actually allowed to use. Uh, and if you look through some of the issues on there, you'll talk about 
uh, you know, uh, not using named functions because some versions of Safari break when using named functions. You know, it, it does proper key iteration support, so you know, won't call object.keys uh, for you know browsers that don't support uh, ES5 semantics and stuff like that. That's a lot less important uh, on on Node. You know, mm -hmm. since you have a nice clean ES5 implementation, and you can start you know moving towards you know ES6 stuff if you want to. Right. Um, but it, did any of you other guys feel like you know the the ES3 kind of sandbox was was useful for you, especially when getting like new client side developers, um, you know, up and running? Yeah, that was that was huge for us at Airbnb. Um, that was a huge component of it. And and like you said, it's it's less relevant on the server, like partially because there's good ES5 support and soon ES6, but uh, the the build the build process gets a little more complicated sometimes mm -hmm. on the server side. Uh, whereas you know the client, it, it's there's you know, with sprockets and things like that. It's it's not such a huge deal. <laughs> so I have an all Ruby crew here, don't I? No, yeah. no. <laughs> I'm not even on the call. No, uh, this is Brad. I'm I'm. I mean, I've, I've written some Ruby and a couple of uh, okay, you know, great. Okay. a couple of side projects there, but no, I've never done any like professional Ruby dev. Okay, good. Uh, I was going to shut it down. I, I've completely <laughs> failed uh, to bring in a diverse group. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, cer certainly used to do a lot of Ruby. It's it's been been a number of years since uh, since that though. Cool, cool, cool. All note all the time. Yeah. And to be fair, I think you know Rubyists were one of the biggest advocates of using CoffeeScript, whether or not that's that's a valid use case or not. Sure. Um, I think a lot of Ruby developers, you know, wanting to implement, uh, you know, good interactions, client-side interactions, that was the, the kind of, you know, happy path to getting that done. And it, you know, I, I think there's a generation of web developers who kind of resented having to work in the web browser for a mm -hmm. while. Um, yeah. You know, the, you know, this is around the time, you know, heavy use of Haml, heavy use of SAS and, right. Uh, you know, trying to abstract some of the weirdness away from interacting with the DOM and interacting with different JavaScript engines and rendering engines and stuff like that. So CoffeeScript kind of came, you know, came around during that time when, you know, especially Ruby developers wanted to have a bit of a safer place to execute things on the web browser as, as we're moving more in that direction. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, for me, I was definitely using Haml and SAS uh, at the time. And it was, you know, for me, it was just a logical extension. It's like, okay, we got it for markup. We got it for styling. Like, let's do it for code. Why not? Nice, nice. And I imagine a lot of people were first introduced to CoffeeScript because in, what, Rails 3.1, it became bundled by default, right? So right. if you, like, run the Rails generator commands, it'll pop a bunch of CoffeeScript files in your assets directory. So it probably got people started. Sure. That's a great point. So in a bit of a devil's advocate view of, you know, doing the, the, the ECMAScript stuff in the right, uh, the right way, why not, you know, looking back, why, why didn't you, you uh, make use of underscore or something like that? Oh, we use both heavily. Okay. We're already already yeah. going crazy with underscore. I guess. Mm -hmm. Oh no, you're you're referring to the the specific um, ES3 iteration stuff that um, yeah. that the others were com uh, complaining about. Yeah, we we were able to boot a lot of down level browsers when we launched, so we didn't have as much of a problem with that. Okay, right on. Yeah, I think it all kind of came came together. You know, um, you know, like Airbnb, we were using Backbone and underscore and everything together. You know, one of the there's always kind of a debate about. You know, using underscore uh, whether or not it would 
uh, you know, is it whether or not it's a best practice to use a third-party library to do things like iteration? You mm -hmm. could kind of say that if you're using like the that support that CoffeeScript, you know, is basically inlining or using syntactic sugar to get you the same kind of output as you would to use, you know, underscores iterators or um, things like that. So I, I don't really see it as being too different. Um, but specifically, you know, it's, you know, underscore only goes so far. It's a nice toolkit, but it doesn't really ensure a safe running environment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially CoffeeScript does really, you know, smart things with like immediately, you know, uh, basically wrapping everything in a, uh, immediately executing, uh, function. Right. So, you know, it's harder to leak things into the global namespace. Uh, th those are things that you can't just get by pulling in a third party library. Right on. So very interesting to, you know, to highlight that there, you know, you're, you're still using underscore. For sure. Yeah. I, I, we oh. still actually even Chris. use underscore on, uh, on the node side, uh, internally. Um, a split between underscore and low dash, just you know, for sure, general sure. utility libraries. Yeah, we use uh, we use underscore a lot uh, everywhere as well. Even with CoffeeScript, it's just I mean, and, and it's just a call as to what's going to be clearer for the reader. You know, a good underscore chain um, can a lot of times be clearer than the equivalent, um, you know, comprehensions or whatever. Yeah. Excellent. So that's the the past. Any, anyone else want to touch on the you know the past? How we got into CoffeeScript before we, we move on to the present and you know actual real world best practices with CoffeeScript. No, probably not best to uh, to uh, talk bad about the Ruby community anymore. <laughs> Wait, you know, like we have to do something controversial on, on <laughs> yeah. like this is the most controversial uh show ever. Uh and uh you know, you can at least uh uh throw in something like that. Uh the only reason I use coffee script is because there's no semicolons. <laughs> nice. Nice. There you go. All right. With that, we can move on to the present. But you know, real quick, I wanted to say a couple of good words about our sponsor, Joint. Joint is a great place to build and host your production Node.js apps since your entire cloud infrastructure is built on lightweight container virtualization with SmartOS Power and Node.js. Joint is a high-performance cloud infrastructure and big data analytics company delivering Node.js the best runtime for today's real-time applications. As this corporate sponsored steward of Node, Joint also offers exclusive debugging and performance analysis tools and support for Node.js applications. Go to joint.com and get quick access to many of Joint's Node.js offerings. You can sign up for their public cloud, which is optimized for running Node. Check out their Getting Started Guide at joint.com slash developers slash getting started Node.js. Everything has a uh, dash in there, getting dash started dash no dash dash JS. Awesome. So check that out. Very useful stuff that uh, Joint's put together. Node.js support services are is a new offering that, that uh, Joint started in December. Product's called Node.js Core Support, and it will give you deep analytics that you can get through Joint's infrastructure. And uh, you can take a core from any Linux or SunOS operating system, and you can use SmartOS, Solaris, OmniOS for that. And you can get Joint support for Node.js from joint cloud services. So be sure to check out their development and product production practices at joint.com slash developer slash node. And uh, stay tuned for news and upcoming events at joint on the Twitters. Thank you, joint, for supporting NodeUp. 
Okay, so now real world, how CoffeeScript's being used in production at Trello, at Groupon, at Airbnb, and at, uh, I want to say CreationX. Uh, Interlinks, close. (laughs) I know that's wrong. Interlinks. So, David, you want to kick that off? Yeah, sure. So we use it for pretty much everything. So uh, I think as I alluded to before, um, you know, we're we're a machine learning based ad platform. So um, I mean, if you start at the front, we've got uh, client side scripts, you know, third party JavaScript that sits on these pages. Uh, That's all written with CoffeeScript. uh, And then, you know, that that gets transformed, of course, into JavaScript and minified. But that that all starts with um, you know, with CoffeeScript. Uh, then we've got our servers on the back end that take in the, you know, the events, the analytics data, uh, process it. We have a, you know, a whole like real-time um, event processing pipeline that's kind of like Storm. That whole thing is, uh, is written in CoffeeScript. Um, and then uh, I apologize for the, uh, the the garbage truck that's going by. At this time. <laughs> Sorry that's about okay. that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean that's all CoffeeScript, and we've got a whole bunch of individual services that and APIs that are just you know part of this whole ecosystem. So it's really just CoffeeScript, uh, top to bottom. Nice, Spike. You want to uh, share how the, the you know CoffeeScript cool toolchains being done? Yeah, sure. So, you know, for us, there's two environments, right? So the first is Rails, and the second is Node. Um, and we still pretty much use it for all of our big backbone apps, and we've got a number of them um, that are still, like, being developed. And, you know, it works pretty well. I think the, the developers, for the most part, like it. Um, we've, got, we've got a lot of engineers on our team, probably about 40 who are web engineers, uh, who are, you know, typically in the day-to-day, like, working on JavaScript, Rails stuff. So, you know, people tend to like it. Uh, but we, since we do have such a split code base, sometimes there, it is a bit difficult to choose, like, should I write this in JavaScript or should I write this in CoffeeScript? And it, it pretty much falls along, like, the backbone app lines. Hmm. Um, and then for, for Node, you know, we've been using it, but we've actually started kind of migrating away from it just because the kind of the extra build step and extra complications when it comes to packaging things for the, for the client side. So, and also the stack trace issue, which... Which I think may uh, might be addressed by some of these other uh, newer CoffeeScript implementations, but we're, we've kind of started migrating away from it, really. Yeah, the stack traces are much better in 1.7. I was it's it's been a it's been a long road, but there the line numbers are finally right. Nice. <laughs> I will definitely be checking that out. <laughs> so yeah, interesting little tangent. Uh, talking to to Visnu, who's a avid CoffeeScripter, the. Uh, ex- experience over at uh, at Square is their library code is all pure JavaScript, and then their application code it's up to the, sort of the team, uh, and they can go either way. So that's that's how they've sort of drawn that line of how to manage that that distinction. Mm-hmm. Britt, you want to share the the, the toolchain flow at Trello? Sure. Uh, so the the web server is a Node.js app written entirely in CoffeeScript. Um, you know, so the uh, you know we just uh, precompile that in uh, production. 
Uh, and then the and the same for the web client. You're just you know developing. Uh, it, we compile on the fly when we're developing, and then pre-compile that um, and and spit out the JS. Um, actually, we, we do actually um, and we actually ship the uh, the minified JS, of course, not coffee for uh, for production. Um, so those two things are completely coffee script. Then there's a little part of our build process that's written in um, that's written in coffee script, and that's uh, that's it. We have. Uh, released a few uh, libraries, um, open source. There's uh, Node Dependencies and uh, the Coffee Cache. Uh, and those are both uh, things that, that Doug Patty, um, sort of the Trello team's internal toolsmith and release manager and all kinds of other good things have, uh, have made and released. Um, and, uh, and those are, you know, those are uh, open source uh, packages that we have, um, you know, released as CoffeeScript. And that seems to be working out okay. You know, um, this isn't, um, I guess, no dependencies in particular isn't, uh, isn't something that you would normally uh, depend upon as part, of your, um, as part of your app, but that seems to be working out all right. Um, what does it do? Uh, it tells you which of your no dependencies are out of date. Aha, uh-huh. okay. It's a good one. Nice. Uh, so it, uh, you can just run that on your, um, uh, you can just run that on your, uh, in your node path and then you can, uh, see what, uh, see what's out of date. So that's, um, that's the story. I mean, we, um, I don't know, do you, so should I like get into our restrictions, like we like our um, our linting or our coding convention, or save that? Do it. Go ahead. Okay. So we um so we use uh, that sort of uh, standard. What's the? Uh, I forget what we forked from. Uh, let's see. It's the uh, CoffeeScript style guide. We uh, Polar Mobile uh, CoffeeScript style, style guide. We forked that oh, and made a couple of. A uh, couple of minor changes, um, so you can see that on our GitHub repo too. Uh, we made a couple of minor repo changes. Um, uh, you know, uh, there where we're like, all right, these these keywords, these and and or keywords are ridiculous. Just use and 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 or. We don't need we don't need multiples of that. <laughs> um, and you know, like it's fine to return at and a couple of other things. But um, but really, we've stuck to that. Um, and then we enforce all that through Coffee Lint. Um, and that's something that our little CI server checks, um, checks linting, and then everybody's supposed to have their pre-commit step, which checks lint on that. Uh, that's great. Um, I want to add to Coffee Lint that if you're doing an assignment to a, um, if you're doing an assignment to a non-parenthetized uh, list comprehension, then that should be a warning or an error. Just, just don't do it. Make that explicit. You never ever want the last thing in the comprehension, right? Everybody, has everybody been bit by this who, who codes CoffeeScript? Has anybody not been bit by this at some point? Oh, for sure. Totally been bit by that before. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's unfortunate, right, that, this, that the, the comprehensions aren't surrounded by sigils. I understand it with the rest of the, uh, of the syntax, but we should definitely, definitely add that to Lint because that's just a silly thing for anyone to ever be bit by. Um, and um, so, that's, um, so that's how we uh, enforce you know, sanity in our CoffeeScript code base and make sure nobody's, like, throwing a tab in there or anything. Um, and you know the coffee lint is actually pretty good and pretty um, pretty comprehensive and can check for um, can check for a lot of stylistic things and it's nicely uh, configurable. So thanks again to uh, uh, to Doug for adding that to our um, to our chain. Um, it's getting. Uh, it's be- <laughs> yeah, I- <laughs> well, we were hanging out the other day. I, was like, I can't believe you're not using this. Um, I extended Doug- I extended JS lint for you for the coffee script. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, you know, our our. Uh, uh, our internal Doug, our uh, Doug Patty. So do you have a, a coffee lint setup that you could link to in the show notes? 
You know, I don't know that, that, that we're exposing that, but we should. You're right. It'd be a fantastic resource for others that are you know, trying to uh, create a sensible tool chain around uh, uh, CoffeeScript. So uh, if you could you know, post a gist maybe or, or you know, if there's some area where that, that's, that's up, uh, be fantastic to add that in. Sure, I'll check that out after the show. Awesome. Um, so, Sean, uh, do you have any uh, other things that you want to go into? Uh, so, yeah, we use CoffeeScript for our, our client-side code and for our server-side code uh, when we're running in Node.js. So our whole front-end is running uh, a Node.js kind of platform framework that we've developed in-house, and that's got a couple of components. We have, like, a we call it a Skeletor app. So all teams <laughs> at Groupon have a um, uh, basically a boilerplate app that you can pull for almost any language that you want to use. So we have one for Ruby, we have one for Java, and we have one for Node. And they're, they're basically Kickstarter projects that you know, implement all best practices, like where to save log files, uh, you know, how to interact with other services, things like that. So we have that uh, repository that's written in CoffeeScript, and that actually does use uh, uh, require extensions in order to execute CoffeeScript on the fly, which is not really a good idea, but uh, you know, that is what it is. So that application is completely developed in CoffeeScript, and then all of the modules that that library or that boilerplate application pulls together are authored in CoffeeScript, but then um, we before we publish them, we compile them down to JavaScript and only ship the uh, JavaScript artifacts. So we never, you know, if you're using one of our libraries, you don't need to have a CoffeeScript runtime up and running. Uh, and we also do use uh, CoffeeScript Redux. Um, there'll be a link to that in the, the, coffee note, in the show notes, but it's basically uh, what should be or what might be considered CoffeeScript 2.0. Um, and it, it uh, mostly adheres to the CoffeeScript 1 series syntax. Uh, there are a couple of things like you can't just use a standalone at for this. Um, we've, uh, uh, Michael's been, you know, kind of talking about, so this was authored by Michael Ficarra who works at Groupon. He actually came on through a Kickstarter campaign that he was running to write this compiler uh, right after he graduated from, from grad school. Um, and there's a couple of other semantic things that were, haven't in, been implemented or we're looking to change, like uh, super, use of super. Like You can use super inside of a constructor, but CoffeeScript allows you to use super to possibly reference other things. Mm. Um, so you can use super inside of a, you know, a, a, a class method or an instance method, and they kind of have very vague semantics. So um, you know, CoffeeScript, is CoffeeScript 2 is really trying to be a lot more uh, locked down and a lot more specific about some of the rules that it, it, it implements. Um, and it also does some really cool things for us. So it, it works on AST, abstract syntax trees. So it takes CoffeeScript and it outputs it into the, um, what is it, the CMonkey Mozilla's AST spec, uh, whatever it's called. And that's awesome because there's a whole... Uh, suite of utilities out there that allow you to work on those ASTs, on JavaScript ASTs. Um, so that allows us to use uh, things like Esprima, ESMangle. Um, we can use those for client-side CoffeeScript. So we can, when we want to minify our uh, client-side CoffeeScript, we just translate it into a JavaScript AST and then run it into ESMangle and then get like a clean implementation without using something like JS, which has some sort of weird edge cases sometimes. Mm. 
Um, and then some teams are still using 1.7. There's also uh, a bit of a, there's some white space differences between, you know, CoffeeScript Redux or 2.0 and the 1, you know, 1 series. So we do have some teams that are still using the, the older one, but uh, pretty much all of our, our uh, client-side development at Groupon, all of our uh, web pages that we developed and all of the application servers that power them are written in CoffeeScript right now. Uh, we don't really have, uh, some teams have started up their own style guides. Um, you know, we don't, we're not really huge on that. I think uh, most of it is, you know, uh, the author of the library or the main, the, the tech lead of that application kind of sets the, the tone for, um, you know, what, what acceptable syntax is or what the, the style should be. Um, but we've been kind of, there is a kind of a cool tool that hasn't been uh, completely um, come to fruition yet called CS Cogen. So I, I don't remember what the, the name of the tool is in uh, Go, the automatic uh, code formatter. But, you know, Go basically, the, the ecosystem is like there's one proper way to write Go and everybody else who's doing it, is, you know, any other way is doing it wrong. Um, CS Cogen would, you know, when it kind of hits a little more maturity would be great because it actually can create a CoffeeScript AST and output completely, um, you know, consistent code based off of whatever kind of style rules you want to throw into it. And there's a, there's, you can do this with that ES code gen so that if you have a, a JavaScript um, library, you can actually run it through ES code gen and have, like, you can set the style of what you want the output to be. Uh, we're hoping to implement that for our CoffeeScript libraries at some point, but the, the tool is missing a couple of things right now. Awesome. I guess this the authoring uh, modules kind of fits back in here too. I, I want to talk about. I guess. I'm, I'm, and excuse me if I'm queuing this up from an outsider's view. The the debate inside of uh, of Node about publishing CoffeeScript to to npm and best practices around that. What, what do you guys think about compiling to first to JavaScript and then publishing versus you know having it on the fly? You know, do you find that that's Constructive is that the you know uh, in practice the real best practice or uh, you know an outsider's view of what you should do with that other thing? What do you so think? I've, I've actually seen it three ways. I've seen okay. one where you you publish just the CoffeeScript and you run it through run the CoffeeScript through the runtime. I've seen another one where the npm the, you know setup task or like the pre-install task compiles it after you pull it down, but it doesn't actually run it through the runtime. And then the third is you, you only ship the compiled artifact. Uh, the third one is a weird case, but I've seen a couple of modules pop up with it before, hmm. and I'm like, uh, that, sounds, that seems like really, really complicated and very <laughs> error-prone. But um, I've always fallen on the side that you, should just sh you shouldn't uh, mutate somebody else's runtime, uh, and specifically because when we're using CoffeeScript and CoffeeScript Redux, uh, when you're using something like require modules, they can step on each other in weird ways. Hmm. So, you know, the way require, mo uh, require extensions work is that it, you know, it, it says, when I require a .coffee file, run it through this thing before you require the file. Mm -hmm. um, since one in, you know, CoffeeScript and CoffeeScript Redux use the same extension, whatever the last require extension that was loaded that ends up getting precedence. Uh, and both CoffeeScript 2 and CoffeeScript as of 1.7 don't automatically register themselves anymore. You have to specifically opt in to using the CoffeeScript runtime if you want it, uh, because I think require extensions is going to be deprecated in the not-too-distant future. Mm -hmm. right. 
Yeah, it seems it seems like shipping the the actual artifact in the module, like you know the 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 compiled JavaScript. It seems safest to me just because of what you mentioned. Um, were, were you saying that that was an anti-pattern? Yeah, I agree. It's an anti-pattern. Like you know, I I don't think you should whatever goes into npm should just be you know kind of the lowest common de- common denominator of what can be used you know uh, in other people's code without making any assumptions about what their runtime is. Something that everybody should run. Yeah. Yeah. Should be able to run right, and 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 that's going to be a challenge. I, I'm totally tangenting, but that's going to be a challenge. Uh, you know, as a community, also when it comes to native modules and stuff like that, and making sure that um, either uh, we explicitly let you know that that native module is is there, or or let you know that you know, hey, I've given you this thing; it's only going to run on Windows um, uh, YOLO. <laughs> yeah, and same for ES6 modules too. You know, that's that's going to be a problem then. Right. Yep. Yeah, we need we're going to need that 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 context. So, you know, writing CoffeeScript and uh, distributing that, um, you know, distribute the 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 compile target. You know, I like to call JavaScript, you know, the the new assembly language of of the world. So, yeah, it, let it be. Let it be that. Uh, even if you don't want to write that or even manage that. Yeah, it's interesting that the uh, the, the JavaScript isn't in the Git repo and the CoffeeScript isn't in the in the package. Sort of an interesting flip. Hmm. Uh, we always actually check in both. Um, we like to have the the compile co- uh, JavaScript there just because you're going to get your uh, errors in JavaScript line numbers in mm-hmm. a different directory. So we just think it's easier. If, you know, if I if I'm reporting an issue. For a published module that happened on lib, you know, index.js line 20, it's nice to have that artifact in our Git repository, but it does add a lot of, of noise. Fortunately, GitHub is very good about, you know, if it notices that you're in a CoffeeScript project, it automatically collapses all of the compiled JavaScript hmm. in your, in your uh, diffs or in your uh, pull requests. So it, they do kind of help you make that uh, a more comfortable workflow. One, one of the, the, the problems that I remember discussing with someone uh, managing CoffeeScript was merge conflicts in that context. So, you know, having both checked in and, you know, just getting crazy merge stuff that, that teams was having a, were having a, a hard time dealing with. Have you run into that at all? Yeah, I, uh, we used to do that. We used to check in the JavaScript. And, um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, I think as was just said, I mean, it was it was a lot of noise, and um, sometimes you'd you'd make you try and make these really small commits, and so you'd you you know you would um you'd you'd edit a you know a bunch of code would be changed, and then you would try and break that up into you know smaller commits to tell a story. But then when you tried to like have both the JavaScript and the CoffeeScript changed line up, it was it was really a pain, and so often what times would happen is, is you would make a bunch of these coffee script changes, and then those would go into their own commits, and then at the end it would be like, uh, okay, catching up all the JavaScript, and then that would be its... And, and that was just, I don't know, it was, it was sort of annoying. Hmm. It's certainly annoying. Uh, you know, we've actually used as part of our TDD process that all of our tests are written in CoffeeScript, but they target the compiled output, so that kind of helps that as you're doing iterations through, like you're always building and you're never running against the the coffee script itself um but yeah it does add a lot of noise i treat it kind of like a npm shrink wrap it's an it's a bytecode or it's a it's a compiled artifact and mm-hmm. i always just overwrite it like i never try to resolve a merge conflict in in 
compile you know coffee script i always just recompile it and check that in right on all right so any other uh thoughts on the you know production tool chain and how to to work with a, a coffee script project effectively or publish modules effectively i don't think so awesome okay I need I need like more all right so like how how about typescript how do you work effectively with that Ooh you're you're just trying to start a flame war right? <laughs> I get into uh, I get into arguments with our our local very strong uh type uh very strong nice. uh, right. static typing uh, aficionado sure. about monthly about it um not that I'm in any way against uh you know, inferred um, static typing, or would be, or or that I would be against, um, you know, trying to, um, you know, attempts to uh, to lay some kind of type system on top of CoffeeScript. Um, just just about whether it would be the right thing to do to look at. I don't know what uh, TypeScript or what is it? Uh, Kotlin. Um, I don't know how you say that. Kotlin or Kotlin? Uh, now you know. What's Kotlin? I'm not I think it's a, I think it's a JetBrains thing, isn't it? Um, some kind of something that uh, compiles to Java and, and JavaScript. Oh, crazy. Hmm. Or I could have just flipped that name with something else, and I could be referring to something completely. <laughs> I think uh, that's that one. So before we leave the present, I, I want to really touch on the Browserify experience uh, with, with CoffeeScript. David, do you want to draw, dive into that? Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's, I mean, I think that has been one of the most important changes to our process uh, Period is just um, the ability to, to ha- you know, to to bring Browserify into the mix. So th- this is largely just for client side code, mm-hmm. but what it does is is um, and it's kind of related to what we were talking about before about whether you just include the CoffeeScript or the JavaScript, and at what point you know does this compilation happen? But Browserify, when you know you, you what you can do is you just have your coffee files; they can require other coffee files. And then when you tell Browserify to bundle it all up into you know, JavaScript for the browser, uh, you can tell it these different transforms to use. And so one transform is called Coffeeify. And uh, as the name would suggest, it, it's going to go in and it's going to find the CoffeeScript files, and then it's going to turn those into JavaScript files, and then those are what go into the bundle. And then you can combine it with some, you know, you can combine it with something like uh, Watchify. And so anytime you change any of your CoffeeScript files, the bundle is recreated and, uh, and you know, it's just JavaScript and it's there ready in the browser. And so it's this very clean workflow. If you're editing, it automatically rebundles and recompiles the CoffeeScript and then you can just uh, reload. And it's, it's really nice. Uh, I mean, we actually take it a step further and we do it for our um, templates and our style, uh, style sheets too. So, there are other there are other transforms like Jadeify and uh, CSSify, and so that lets us just require Jade files and require CSS files, and the transform turns those into JavaScript as well. So in the case of Markup, it takes the Jade and then it just turns it into a simple uh, template function where you pass something in and it, it spits out HTML. The same thing for CSS, where it's going to take the CSS in. And then it's going to create JavaScript that'll just put a, another link tag on the on the page with those styles, and uh, it's it's really nice because you know for one we don't have to put JavaScript in the project 
it's just all coffee and we, we let it, we leave it up to Browserify to handle that. And another reason is because once it's time to like split one of these out into a smaller module, say you're working and it's like, oh, hey, this is a really cool table, you know, data filtering, you know, visualization thing, you can just pull it out and then that module can be in charge of its own transforms. And anything else that requires it doesn't have to know that it's CoffeeScript, doesn't have to know that it has its own you know, CSS in there or that it has its own Jade templates. And so it's really nice for creating these uh, really self-contained, uh, you know, front-end modules that could be with CoffeeScript or you know Jade or anything else. Uh, but in the end, it's it's Browserify that does the heavy lifting lifting of uh, putting it into straight up JavaScript. It's pretty sweet. Nice. That sounds great. Yeah, we're we're also moving to a Browserify toolchain in our Rails apps. So kind of moving away from Sprockets towards Browserify. And like you said, the transforms open up all sorts of doors. Uh, we've, we're, we're thinking about using React.js, which is Facebook's uh, UI component library. And you know, there's transform for React files. There's transforms for uh, handlebars files. Uh, it really does seem like the, kind of the future tool chain of the front end. Excellent. Yeah, it's actually gotten to the point now when, uh, when I see you know, new JavaScript libraries come out. Uh, and like Grunt is so popular, and so is Bower. You know, I'll go in to the see the GitHub, and I'll see a package JSON, and I get really excited. It's like, oh, great, <laughs> get to use this with Browserify, and then you look on npm, and it's not it's not on there. So I think, uh-huh. I, think I, I gotta come up with like a nice blog post or something of of like publish your shit. <laughs> yeah, but something of like why they would want to. Right, um, right. You know, nice. it's like, the benefits you get of of maybe just letting Browserify stitch your app together instead of like Grunt or or Makefile just like gluing these files together or, or something in the global namespace. I don't know. I got to come up with something. Do it. Nice. That'd be awesome. And uh, just a quick plug for something else that uh, Michael Fakara has developed, which is a kind of a simplified version of Browserify called uh, Common JS Everywhere. It actually it works kind of the same thing as the same concept, but it also uses uh, ASTs. So for either JavaScript or CoffeeScript, it doesn't support uh, CSS or templates or anything like that. But um, it will parse either your JavaScript or your CoffeeScript into an AST and then do all the transforms uh, at that level. And then minify. you can run it through a minifier like ESMangle or something on the way out. Um, and it... it is a little bit safer about some weird edge cases. Browserify has a lot of support to kind of detect weird edge cases. You know, some early on, you know, with like uh, sprockets and some, you know, concatting, you know, basically libraries that would just concat uh, chunks of JavaScript together. If you're, uh, you had a syntax error or something in one of your other files, it could bleed into the rest of your, um, the rest of the ecosystem or the rest of the, the uh, asset bundle as you're spinning it out. Uh, when you're working at the AST level, you're kind of guaranteed to have valid code, and it does produce nice source maps for JavaScript and CoffeeScript um, all the way through the you know whatever kind of uh, you know concatenation or minification toolchain that you're going to uh, use to create the bundle. And just for the sake of continuing on this tangent, uh, there's another one <laughs> called uh, Webpack. All the packers. Which has been seems like it's been gaining in popularity. Uh, the Instagram.com team just recently moved over from Browserify to Webpack, and it also has transforms and different things, uh, better support for async b- bundles. But yeah, there's a lot of options. Cool, 
No, I wasn't aware of uh, either CommonJS Everywhere or Webpack. So uh, be uh, good to see if those uh, uh, get the adoptions. You know, Browserify is awesome, cool tech. Doesn't feel front endy to most front end developers. So you know, the technology is there. Uh, the approach is, is there. But you know, the solution that takes the place of what Browserify can do and presents a, a viable alternative to bowering all your things. You know, uh, I, I don't think as we've you know quite hit that yet. Uh, so look forward to to doing that because you know I you know in working with customers, Bower is a crazy pain point. It's just not not as reliable as uh, what you get what you're used to getting with npm. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, as a crazy kind of side effect that you can you can misuse these tools to do some kind of cool stuff too. Uh, we have a service that kind of controls the entire layout for Groupon.com, mm-hmm. and as we want to iterate on that, we kind of want to freeze versions uh, in the past and you know never update them again. And you can use nice. tools like CommonJS Everywhere or Browserify to actually kind of freeze an entire required tree and provide one entry point into that entire bundle. Nice. So you can say, you know, uh, you know, our layout service has you know semantic versioning. You can actually produce an artifact for a version that has all the libraries locked down, and you know that it's never going to change. You know, Fantastic. all the templates and uh, you know. All the assets, all the mod- all the third-party modules that you're using through npm are just you know in one huge outputted JavaScript file, and you know that they're always going to be that way forever. Killer. Do you have that uh, published somewhere? Uh, no, we that- don't. We're still kind of working on the the toolchain. Basically, we're going to have like one repository that's like our, our floating head, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll publish that out to basically a. a um, a common JS everywhere output, and then our our production service will just require that at a specific endpoint, and then we'll be able to link those in. So it's actually it's a nice hack if you want to basically you know kind of like shrink wrapping or, uh, but you can do it at a at a more uh, at a lower level. You know, one of the side effects of using something like shrink wrap is that you can also uh, whenever you need to re-shrink wrap, it's very difficult to uh, manage the third-party dependencies if all that resolution has changed. But when you when you create this one artifact, you know nothing has changed, and you can put it into source control and never have to worry about it again. Love that. Yeah, that that sort of approach uh, up and down the stack is uh, very compelling. Yeah, that's that sounds really cool. I hope you'll have the opportunity to sort of share, if not the you know the full full stack approach, but uh, uh, you know do kind of your your Dynamo paper. You know, here's how we do it, <laughs> and then everyone can copy that. <laughs> totally. That's awesome. All right, so I'm gonna move us on to the future. If there's anything else in this area, I'm sure we'll we'll pull that in. But before I do that, I want to shout out to our final sponsor, Go Instant, a platform for building real-time web and mobile applications. It synchronizes the state of your application between the users without the need for a backend. The data is is just straightforward JSON, and when a user modifies a property, the change is propagated to all of the users, creating essentially a shared database for your application. GoInstant also provides PubSub messaging and client-side components that take the complexity out of building dynamic, real-time collaborative applications. These PubSub messages are ideal for low latency notifications, stuff that you know doesn't necessarily need to be stored, but you know state changes with the user, events that they might be interested in. 
Coincidence client-side components, such as the integration of WebRTC, chat presence, and other are drop-in features that you can quickly add to any app and extend as you see fit. GoInstant was founded in uh, 2011, uh, is now part of the Salesforce team, and uh, their entire product is built on Node.js and has been using Node for three plus years. So the team at GoInstant has open sourced a bunch of libraries, and you can find them on on NPM, including Tough Cookie and Secure Filters. The the team at GoInstant is fantastic, and they're dedicated to helping developers build better Node. Node apps. Really excited to hear the team share at Node Day uh, at PayPal on the 28th. So looking forward to, to having them around. GoInstant is free for development use and it started today at GoInstant.com. And thanks, GoInstant. Thanks, uh, Joint and Anyet for sponsoring Node Up. Really appreciate it. Okay. So the future. And what's coming in the CoffeeScript toolchain, and you know, also want to touch on some of the, the the reasons why you you might want to might might not want to choose CoffeeScript for a a project that you're sharing. So let's let's start that off with CoffeeScript two. What's going on with that, Sean? So CoffeeScript two has been under development uh, for a while under the the CoffeeScript Redux library, and uh, I mentioned before it's it's kind of similar. Uh, most of the language spec has been implemented. There's a couple of things where uh, Michael and the other contributors kind of want to make breaking changes to CoffeeScript because um, you know there there are some vague um, there's some kind of vague concepts in CoffeeScript one point one point oh that they'd like to get rid of. Um, so, uh, you know, I've, we've been using CoffeeScript Redux, you know, 2.0, you know, 2.0 beta 7. On, that's running on all of our production apps right now. Uh, it's really stable. The tool chain is pretty great. Um, I would definitely recommend anybody who's working in CoffeeScript uh, right now to check it out because, you know, they, since you're working with ASTs, Mm-hmm. Uh, it automatically generates uh, source maps. This is something that just hit in one set in CoffeeScript one seven, but two O has had this for for quite a while. Um, you know, and it does a little bit more in terms of understanding what your code is and and knowing how to optimize for uh, what you're actually writing. Hmm. Um, you know, the the CoffeeScript one O compiler isn't that intelligent. It really doesn't. You know, it, it's only slightly more sophisticated than a bunch of uh, parser rules that allow you to transform from, you know, CoffeeScript into, uh, into JavaScript. Uh, CoffeeScript Redux actually builds a CoffeeScript AST. So it actually understands the structure of the code that you're writing before it does any kind of transformations. And it can do some really cool stuff where, uh, you know, you can plug in different modules into that build step and say, like, hey, you know, warn me if I'm leaking into the global namespace or something like that. Um, things that you can't really get out of uh, CoffeeScript 1. Um, but, you know, something I just wanted to put into to more broad perspective and why I still think Coffee is, CoffeeScript is pretty awesome is because when you, when you compile from CoffeeScript to JavaScript, the output, it shouldn't really surprise anybody that much. Um, you know, I think for most people who work in CoffeeScript, it's because you don't want to have to remember or have to implement all those weird little either browser incompatibility issues or uh, you don't want to have to, you know, kind of remember some of the weird edge cases around using JavaScript. And and CoffeeScript is always awesome at kind of, you know, uh, protecting you from, uh, you know, 
forgetting to implement best practices and it doesn't introduce any third-party runtimes or any other modules to run your code. Um, and some of the other things we had mentioned TypeScript earlier, <laughs> you know, the, the output artifact, you know, the output of JavaScript from using TypeScript is, is indecipherable. Um, but the output of JavaScript from CoffeeScript 1 and CoffeeScript 2, I think, are actually, um, you know, pretty legible. And I've, I've actually taken some, some projects from uh, CoffeeScript and published them as JavaScript. And it's, you know, pretty easy to take the compiled source and make it uh, usable for an end user. Um, and that's, that's something that I think we're um, using CoffeeScript as opposed to any of these other compiled two languages are super important. Cool. So what, how does this uh, compare to like your Ice CoffeeScript and other, other things? What does that bring over these other things? Are those, are those projects dead? Is Ice CoffeeScript still a, a thing? No, Ice CoffeeScript is still a thing. Um, you know, basically it, it implements, um, you know, that, that kind of C, C sharp await and defer syntax into a CoffeeScript branch itself. But it does that through basically needing to require a third-party library at runtime. So you're, you're, it's not like you can actually see the output or like you're, it's like it basically inlines a promise library into your, uh, into your compiled JavaScript code, which I, I think is an immediate no-go for me. Like I, I wouldn't ever want to use that because it's so difficult to parse. And like, you know, that's when you get into things like your stack traces are, are much more, much harder to follow. Have, or, there are also things like Cocoa, which is a little more radical. You know, what, another nice thing about CoffeeScript is that I don't think it actually changes the semantics of how you think about JavaScript. Like, when you're thinking about CoffeeScript, you're really thinking about the JavaScript runtime. Uh, Cocoa and Ice CoffeeScript actually changes the runtime from underneath the view. Um, have any of you guys ever tried to, like, use any of the other compiled uh, JS dialects? No. I tried Ice uh, CoffeeScript. Um, and tried tried it a lot the same way that, that I tried CoffeeScript to begin with to see if that would um, uh, to see if that would be worth it for handling asynchronous stuff over you know like uh, Kaolin's async library which we just use uh, which we use for most of that here um, uh, and I ended up yeah I ended up experiencing uh, what you're talking about that the I didn't like that I that it was you know it had become much more difficult to uh, to reason about um, or to to read the compiled JavaScript or to reason about my code. So I didn't like that. Yeah. Uh, just another like broad question. Have, have any of you guys tried or like played with uh, ES6 or tried to use something like SweetJS as like another kind of compiled to JS environment? I've toyed with it. I, not not SweetJS, but uh, the ES6 stuff. And, uh, you know, could be cool. Not solving any of the problems that I have right now, so I'm I'm definitely not in the you know generators are going to save JavaScript camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of that was a lot of the motivation between behind generate you know CoffeeScript's initial rollout was that it does kind of save JavaScript from itself in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, again, this is you know the environment and the team are really important. Uh, you know, for Absolutely. us, we've always found that. Uh, CoffeeScript is great because it allows us to ramp up JavaScript developers really quick because you can teach JavaScript developers about the runtime and about the environment, but you can kind of protect them from the weird CD parts of, you know, JavaScript in the browser or, you know, things that people rarely actually understand about JavaScript 
you know, well. You know, I would say the, the class uh, syntax is, is one that um, I always kind of uh, try to get developers to shy away from using it because if you're writing, chances are if you're writing a class in CoffeeScript, you don't really understand how it works behind the scenes. Like, Interesting. Uh, if you're writing, you know, the, the CoffeeScript class syntactic sugar to a brand new developer would make you think that you're actually using proper, mm. you know, object-oriented inheritance when you're not actually using that stuff. Right. Um, and I, I would say that's the, you know, for me, that was the only part of CoffeeScript where I definitely try to tell developers to stay away from it. I mean, uh, for, yeah, I was going to say, uh, kind of, the, the one for me is the uh, the double arrow. I find, um, I find you know, newer uh you know, newcomers to JavaScript tend not to understand how the this keyword works. Yeah, and I think that can be really glossed over with CoffeeScript, but it can also add to a, a long delay in understanding and can lead to other issues. For sure, I, I've seen many developers who just put fat arrows everywhere because they're not, you know, when they're brand new, they're not quite sure how it works. Um, and CoffeeScript definitely allows you to do some terrible things. You know, the infix question mark operator. Uh, I see abused by um, new JavaScript or new CoffeeScript developers all the time. Um, you know, you have to like sit them down and be like, "Hey, look what this compiles out to." Like, you're actually, you know, you know, chaining together like five if statements all in a row just to you know do some safe property access uh, mm. on one pro- you know on one property. Um, so you know, on that specifically, so that that's actually one of the saner areas that I have uh, seen for. CoffeeScript. So, what are you like? Are they just going nuts and putting too many infixes, or? Yeah, I've seen I've seen just too many. Um, okay. Kind of, you know. I think there are some cases where that's the right behavior. Like, you know, if sure. your if your API sure. returns you some weird objects and you're never quite sure what the structure of that that response is going to be, it's totally useful. But right. you know, I've always thought that it's a better coding practice up front to validate the response out mm-hmm. and know what you're getting back and you know totally. operate off those assumptions later. Yep. And CoffeeScript kind of allows you to do that in line, mm-hmm. like you know, in a in an, an object assignment or like a presenter assignment or something like that. Love it. Uh, where you end up getting nulls for root for weird reasons you know right. like you don't quite understand at what point in this chain did it fail to get a property and then safely return null nice um, you know yeah i think that's a good point but i gotta say i mean you know if that is something that you need the difference between doing it in coffee script or doing it in javascript is as a whole uh you know sure no no uh, like there there's uh, I'll be honest. There's not much that I appreciate about CoffeeScript, but that is one of the, the things. That is definitely one area where, when you have that you know complex tree that you have to go through, and say, oh, you're 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 ten levels deep, <laughs> writing that out is 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 ridiculous. As far as the um, as far as the new developer, I'm just being like, all right, man, you know what this does, right? Um, do you all enforce that like folks need to have um, like like coffee compile and vim or anything like that so that they can you know so that they can check code when they're starting to write it I always I always support people doing that uh, unfortunately using redux that coffee compile doesn't work quite right and I've never spent the 15 minutes to make coffee compile work right um, but that does I think the uh, sublime edit one does know how to use the flags they're just the the coffee uh, command line utility flags have changed between one and two, uh, so they don't work out. But I I do often link to uh, the CoffeeScript Redux like compile and browser 
just be like, hey, check this out. You know, look at look at what you're writing in your browser. And for things like you know, for if you're uh, authoring a module, so you only write CoffeeScript that's compiled on the fly for your kind of base application. Any any module that you write is automatically compiled to JavaScript. Like that's our, our best practice internally. So I have a chance in those instances to point out, hey, this is actually what you're compiling out to. Does that make sense to you? We'll often uh, you know open up the Chrome debugger and just kind of poke around in there. Like if there's a new developer that's doing co- CoffeeScript, just just that's like the easiest way to kind of show what it compiles down to. Uh, seems like. Yeah, or node node inspector on the on the server side um, is is nice for that too. We sort of have a rule, um, or I think uh, because uh, Daniel on our team who who made the rule. Okay, if you're just starting to write CoffeeScript, you should be compiling and looking at it all the time. And if you've been writing it for a while and you have to compile it and look at what the jo- generated JavaScript looks like, then you are writing bad CoffeeScript. <laughs> you, and you are, yeah, you're naughty in my sight or something like that. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're looking at some CoffeeScript and you're like, oh, I should compile this and see what it does, yeah, you're, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, every once in a while, I, I had one where I had a, a Boolean in Infix and uh, like I was doing string.match some regular expression or string.match some other expression. And I'm like, it wasn't compiling out right, and it took me a couple, like, I had to go in and compile it down just to see that it was actually doing, it was putting an or between the two regular expressions instead of calling two different, you know, uh, calls to match. Uh, just because I, you know, the, the presidents, uh, the operator presidents in CoffeeScript is a little bit different. I think that's something that often triples, you know, trips people up, and even to this day, um, sometimes uh, it, it doesn't quite uh, sink into me, you know, what the presidents is. Hmm. Yeah, it it took me, uh, you know, a couple of weeks of of like checking the compiled source to like understand what was going on when something weird happened like that. It happens a lot too with parentheses. I mean, I think parentheses could be the new semicolon argument in CoffeeScript just because like some people like to leave them off um, because you can. But I found like I like to add parentheses as much as possible just to keep it clear because it could get really terse. You know, like it can pretty soon you can write really really terse concise CoffeeScript, but then you come back and look at it, and uh, <laughs> have no idea what's going on. You know, it's so, very that's the style guides come into Thank play. Thank you for your pearl. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the subject of parentheses, it was pretty interesting. You know, I, I was saying I was writing those tutorials, and uh, you know, I would send it over to to Jeremy. You know, like, hey, what do you think? And then he would, he, he, oh man, that guy is so nice. But anyways, I, it would just come <laughs> back where it was like he would just be taking off all of these parentheses that I don't know. I I put them in. Maybe kind of randomly, I like, but you know, I think from his point of view, it, it really there is a style to to adhere, which is to to leave them off unless unless necessary. I don't know if he's he's changed his view on that or not, but that was the case back in 2011. It puts a lot of pressure on the code reader when you're dropping a lot of parents. I mean, I think you know people complaining about CoffeeScript readability, like this is. Um, you know, the, there are things, there are so many redundant things in spoken language, mm-hmm. right, that we, that we don't need but are there because, you know, they, they're, because they help when you're trying to comprehend somebody to have these checks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it helps uh, so much in reading CoffeeScript. First of all, if, if everyone's trying to adhere to a fairly uh, coherent style um, as far as where they include parents and where they don't. We have a, a pretty consistent style here for that. Um, and you can, you can do a little bit of it with Lint. Um, but it's... Um, but yeah, I think it. I think it takes a lot of the pressure off the reader when you're using parents appropriately. Yeah, I think you mentioned the, the style guide that you forked off of. Is it the polar? I'm forgetting the. 
I think there's a section in there about you know how to use the parentheses, and uh, something that's interesting is that uh, I guess I don't know how you would call it, but in in CoffeeScript you could there's a there's a style of using parentheses where you surround um, so it, you know so standard standard JavaScript you've got the function name, then you got an opening parentheses, you got the argument, and then you got the closing parentheses. There's another style that that is somewhat common in CoffeeScript where you would open the parentheses, put in the, the function name, space, then the argument, and then close parentheses. Usually you see that in, in chaining. Um, and, you know, so there, in both cases you have parentheses that I think convey a fair amount of information. And, you know, I wonder if that's just convention, you know, that, that's getting in there, that, that people are used to seeing it the, the JavaScript and Java, or, you know, the standard, you know, that we've always seen it that way. And the other, the other way um, has reminded me more of, like, Lisp or something like that. I don't know. Thoughts yeah. are. I mean, I definitely think that the, I mean, that, that syntax is usually used to just kind of create inline expressions. So, like, you can do kinds of crazy stuff in there, um, and, they, you know, the output gets returned, and the compilers at various levels will return you know, uh, one versus two will return some different stuff, but in two, it'll actually be rather intelligent and create some uh, immediately executed functions for you uh, when you create those kind of. So basically, you get kind of s expressions right in there for you, which is kind of kind of awesome to have. Another readability uh, issue is sometimes just be, because it's all indentation based nesting. Sometimes you know you've got a bunch of callbacks or something, and there's all, all this indentation and no parentheses, and you got to figure out where to put the comma and like that that's that's when i'm I'm looking at CoverScript and my head starts to hurt, you know yeah there there was something actually one of my uh one of my coworkers just brought up was like there's no ex- explicit declaration of local variables or like no variable shadowing mm-hmm. and I, I think that's actually one thing that I definitely miss like you know when i'm when I'm writing coffee scripts or when I've moved back to using JavaScript that you kind of do have. Um, you know, obvious kind of scoping rules about where you de- where you define uh, your variables, and in CoffeeScript, sometimes you can do the wrong thing. Um, you have to really—that's definitely something where I check back to the compiled code because uh, you never know, especially in uh, in tests. Like for example, in Mocha, you know, uh, depending on what you know, what kind of your your style for writing Mocha tests is, usually like I'll have. I'll set up like whatever the, the topic is outside of any one of the you know in a, the top level of the describe block, and then I'll you know reuse that same variable through each one of the uh, the test iterations. And with in in JavaScript, just the pattern for being like describe this test case for you know my subject, and then defining your subject later on in uh, one of those tests is a little more straightforward. But in CoffeeScript, you have to do weird things like setting a variable that undefined uh, right up front because that's the only way that you can actually set the, the proper uh, declaration of the variable in the right scope. Yeah, I feel like I run into that. You know, when I go back, uh, well, I mean, in, in JavaScript you have this thing, so say you're creating a module. You know, I want the file itself to be readable and, and tell the story in a, in a, you know, in a clear way, and so often it's, it's, okay, what's the point of this file? It's to export a module. So, you know, very, very close to the top. You got module exports, you know, and what it does. And, um, you know, you, you kind of want to, you just have a high level, you know, maybe it's, it's only calling, a, you know, a couple of other functions. And so you can see it's like, okay, do thing one, then do t- 
you know, thing two, then return this. And in CoffeeScript, when you, when you define a function, uh, you, can't, you don't have the hoisting because everything is just it's where you define it. And so you kind of can't do that. You would have to define all your, your do thing one, do thing two above your module exports, um, which I don't, you know, I don't prefer. I'd prefer to do it like in JavaScript where you can have this stuff referenced uh, and then just define it later. That's actually one of my the biggest reasons for kind of moving away from CoffeeScript is the lack of named functions. And so, you know, someone mentioned that there, there's Plus no named one. functions yeah, <laughs> uh, on purpose because of, you know, some of the older uh, JavaScript engines. But I just fucking love named functions. <laughs> and like... Debuggability, like guys. I mean, that's uh, when you're, you're trying to pull stuff out of a uh, core dump or something like that. <laughs> And that yeah exactly that that issue and then also the module.exports issue right I love at the top of file doing like module.exports equals constructor mm-hmm. defining it below um, so it's the little things guys yeah I, I was I've been really bugging uh, Michael Ficarra for 2.0 to give us a, a compile to ES5 or compile without consideration for weird browser bugs mode um, I think that's that's really important especially when you're moving into ES6 in order to keep CoffeeScript relevant. I think we need to start shedding some of the things that made CoffeeScript valuable in the first place in order to kind of keep it a modern language. That'd be um, interesting. Kind of like a use strict uh, directive <laughs> at the top. Yeah. And, yes. and, you know, this also kind of segues into in talking about what CoffeeScript is going to be when we move into ES6 land. Like, uh, you know, some of the semantics of CoffeeScript, you know, I, I think CoffeeScript definitely had an influence on the ES6 spec in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, the ES6 spec has completely diverged in a lot of things, and the you know the semantics of classes and all that stuff are, are very very different between uh, the way CoffeeScript defined them and the way ES6 uh, is going to run with them. So you know, what is CoffeeScript going to do in the future? Is it still is it just going to be locked as this compiled ES3 language, or is it going to become more flexible and more powerful in the future to keep? the nice kind of clean syntax that we like, but with updated syntax and semantics to reflect the changes in ES6? That's a great question. Yeah, this is where I wish I would, would be, could have gotten one of the CoffeeScript maintainers to come in and you know, pressure them to, to figure it out. It's not, <laughs> a day doesn't go by that I don't, I am Michael Fakara internally and just be like, hey, when are you, you going to do this thing or that thing or fix this in CoffeeScript? And he's just like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult uh, position to be in right now because it's, it's got such a broad user base and it's, it's really good at you know, serving the audience that it already has, but um, you know, for, for people who are using it uh, for Node, you know, or specifically just targeting modern browsers, it starts to you, you start to chafe at its limitations pretty quickly. So, you know, speaking of ES6, one of the things that we've been talking about at Airbnb is rather than writing CoffeeScript, which compiles to JavaScript, we'd rather just write in some sort of ES6 flavor and compile that down to ES5. I mean, of course, you know, not everything uh, can be ported over like, you know, generators and, uh, and things like that. But we'd rather kind of start there and go backwards if we could. I think some of those tools are still being built, though. Well, that's where, that's where something like Sweet.js is pretty nice. You know, you can use that to define the macros. And also, you know, if you're in Node land, you can pretty safely just move your entire runtime environment to, to using Harmony if you're, you know, 
living on the edge and you want to get up to node 11 or whenever node 12 comes out, uh, you know, there's nothing that says that you can't start writing ES6 on the server mm-hmm. and then keep a kind of divide about what you want to run on the client. So either you can use a transpiler, um, you can use SweetJS macros, or you can just know that you're, you know, I, I always think that uh, one of the nice things about CoffeeScript and about, uh, you know, uh, understanding your target audience is like exactly what their constraints of the platform that you're running against. Uh, and some things like TypeScript and IceCoffeeScript kind of obscure the fact that your runtime really doesn't support the, these magic things that you're asking it to do. You you have a bunch of libraries that are helping you do that. Um, you know, so I, I would I would probably be hesitant to ever start writing ES6 compatible code for the web browser until there's like mass adoption out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing that should stop any of us from starting to write coffee, uh, ES6 uh, on the server today. Excellent. All right. So, um, Spike, David, do you want to get into some of the reasons why you uh, might want to move away from CoffeeScript? Do you want to touch on that? Sure. Uh, I mean, we could, we could start with the open source issue. Okay. Uh, it's, it's kind of related to what was mentioned before about shipping compiled JavaScript in your modules, but... Right. Okay. Uh, our, our first experience with this was the Airbnb render library, which is like a backbone handlebars uh, library. Mm-hmm. And it, it came from a, a CoffeeScript project, right? So it was extracted from an application. So it was all originally a bunch of CoffeeScript. Um, and th- when we open sourced that, we started to see the, the detrimental effects of that. So there, there's kind of two categories. The first was we would be receiving contributions, we'd be getting PRs from people who edited the generated JavaScript and from mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. And then they'd you know they'd go submit a patch in the generated JavaScript and we'd have to say, please, you know, can you do that in the coffee script? And they wouldn't <laughs> yeah, that's they'd pretty common. And so it's like, oh shoot, well do I have to go do that now? Um, and then the other issue is just like because CoffeeScript is kind of controversial, especially especially the Node community, like I've I've noticed Transitioning more towards the Node community from the the Rails community, there's the the perspective on CoffeeScript is like 180. So, mm-hmm. kind of getting into the that the community, people are real tend to be haters on CoffeeScript. So, it, just just the fact that the project was in CoffeeScript would turn people away from even being interested. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, you know, it was interesting. I mean, I, I remember my my experiences with with that with. You know, because uh, I guess when you're coming more from one side, you think everybody, you know, depending where you're looking, it's like, oh, yeah, CoffeeScript's fine. Everybody loves CoffeeScript. It's great. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody you're following, you know, like talks about, oh, I got this cool module called Coffee Filter, which hides all CoffeeScript-related projects from my searches. And it's like, oh, man, what what's going on? You know, and then you hear certain people, you know, talking, and then, you know, you start to wonder, okay, like, what's what's going on here? And... You know, it has it has affected my my view um, of of like what you're publishing in terms of you know obviously modules or or libraries. Uh, also, you know, I give talks, um, you know, and write tutorials. And you know, before I didn't really think about it too much, and now now when I when I do those, I I tend I tend to write in JavaScript and not CoffeeScript. Uh, this has the interesting side effect of of making me uh, write. A lot of JavaScript beforehand, so that I don't slip up like when I'm doing these things live. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it's I think about it in terms of the cost for the user, and it's a similar. I think it's a, a similar concept to to when you have a library that has all of these these 
install requirements or, or dependencies or things that the user has to manage themselves in the sense that, hey, here's this thing, um, but to understand it, you have to learn CoffeeScript. Now, I don't actually think that's as big of a deal as people make it out to be. Um, however, it is a cost. You know, and, and if I'm in the business of, of, of you know, if my goal is to get people to use this or get people to understand this, like I shouldn't really be putting any additional steps in the way. Now, there's also this kind of catch-22, which is, you know, if more people used CoffeeScript, then, you know, then that would be the default. And so by me avoiding it, I'm kind of not working towards that goal. You know, if we all love CoffeeScript and we want CoffeeScript to flourish, then maybe more libraries should be put out in CoffeeScript and more tutorials should be CoffeeScript and and all of these things, um, because then that almost would solve the problem from the other direction. But I, I you know, I, I see, I see both sides. Yeah, and then so, so the next, the next big point, uh, which you know, the reason I'm kind of going away from CoffeeScript is just managing it on a large team. Just, just because we have hundreds or probably thousands of JavaScript files in our code base, and everything started off as JavaScript, and we've introduced some CoffeeScript. There is a little bit of extra noise when a developer is like, well, so do I write this file in CoffeeScript or do I write it in JavaScript? And I even find myself going back and forth sometimes, um, and it just kind of starts to get messy. So just for the sake of consistency, mm-hmm. it's not always a good reason just to stick with the lowest common denominator, but um, that, you know, that's kind of one reason we've been shying away from CoffeeScript for our newer projects. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've definitely considered, you know, saying, okay, we're going to move back to JavaScript. Um, but, I, I mean, to be honest, I think I'd have a little mutiny on my hands. I, I mean, I think we've just all, you know, we just love a lot of the features that that it gives us. And um, I mean, every time I, you know, I switch back to JavaScript, there's there are all these little things that I miss and <laughs> I feel like it, you know, but we'll see. You know, the, the one thing I found working with a large team is that, um, you know, that especially when doing front-end development work, like, you know, running JavaScript in a browser, is that it's, you know, the cost of, of doing it wrong is very high. You know, Groupon is, is a pretty highly trafficked e-commerce site. And, you know, it, it's difficult to do adequate amounts of testing to ensure that you've written, you know, that your code for you know, the browser that your target audience is using. And Groupon has, you know, a, a pretty wide swath of browsers and things have gotten better over time. But, um, you know, CoffeeScript, when we're, when we're trying to ramp up new developers and, you know, we get a lot of developers who are uh, very junior, they're out of college, they don't have a lot of, you know, client-side, um, you know, or browser-based programming experience. Uh, CoffeeScript is a great way to just kind of, you know, like putting on bumpers. Like, you know, you know... Maybe you're not going to get a strike. You might not get the full kind of palette of the language the language has to offer. But we know that you're not going to throw any gutter balls. You know that you're not going to do unsafe things in your code. Or, or at least we're going to make it very difficult to do things like leaking global variables or using you know constructs that some browsers don't properly support. Um, and that's that's the one reason why I think it would be very difficult for at least at Groupon for us to move away from. Um, doing that for our client-side code. Mm-hmm. In terms of the server-side code, you know, when, you know, Node is a much safer environment, uh, but I still have seen issues where 
you know, there are a couple of developers who uh, knew some JavaScript. They didn't know CoffeeScript. So they figured they would start writing a bunch of Node code in in JavaScript, and you know, quickly fell into some of the pitfalls. So I think it's a it's a trade off. And I don't I feel bad for even saying this, but you know, uh, if you're if you're really trying to invest in a JavaScript developer. Um, training them about all the kind of edge cases, creating a good tool chain to make sure that you're not bumping into them. You know, having a good debug tool chain is, is super important. Uh, CoffeeScript kind of allows you to, to not have to invest so heavily and get your, product, your developers to be productive uh, kind of out of the gate. Um, you know, as, as I've seen developers mature, they will kind of move off and, you know, get curious about what you know, what they're actually compiling to where, you know, they start to ask questions about, you know, why CoffeeScript does specific things. Um, and that's that's a good time to start those discussions about, you know, this is why JavaScript is a weird broken language that we all have to use. And, you know, that understanding needs to come at some point. You just, you know, sometimes when you're trying to uh, ramp somebody up, it's uh, uh, the amount of noise that you can kind of reduce from that process is really important. CoffeeScript nails it there. Interesting. Word. Great. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, th there's a comment from the uh, the IRCs about uh, you know, basically. I I've gone through this too. Uh, you know, you you go to npm. You're like, oh well, no way. Great, awesome module, the API. You know, this is this is kind of what I think I want to do. And you pop it up, and oh fuck, it's CoffeeScript, and. Um, you know that's that's a, a common reaction, and you know it's good to see that there's there's some flexibility on that. I don't I don't you know I don't know that that's uh, uh, something that's easy to resolve, but uh, you know it's definitely something that uh, I know that it has in the past stopped me from uh, actually selecting a module to use. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've had some of those issues with just even things like, you know, wanting to contribute to request and, you know, Michael doesn't use semicolons in there. And, you know, <laughs> I, get, I get angry and just be like, you know, screw it, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's up to all of us a little bit to be, you know, to be like, well, how important it is for me to contribute back and also how much you want to just treat an NPM module like a black box. Uh, I think there's a lot, you know, NPM is super powerful because of that. You know, you get to... And pull down these tiny little pieces of code that do one thing, you know, hopefully in a, in a you know, best case scenario, do one thing really, really well. And, you know, if you write a, a small module on CoffeeScript that is pretty much perfect or does one job and never needs to change, then who are you to complain about what language it was written in as long as the job's getting done? Actually, I totally disagree with you, Sean. Um, <laughs> The no, but not not because you know that your argument's wrong, uh, but because of the value of understanding uh, what's going on under the hood. I think one of the biggest, and this comes from you know JVM to to Java more than than uh, Ruby or other dynamic languages to to JavaScript, and the the value you know coming from my computer science education, the value of encapsulation um, is. You know, cool story, bro, and we should do, build well-defined APIs that are awesome. But I think the 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 net value of uh, sharing code and being able to understand what you know any other individual in the world has written by uh, accessing the open source 
is you know why we're what we are where we are today. So you know it does it doesn't that doesn't uh, preclude us you know using any other dialect in how we're doing the modules. But it's something that I, I value deeply, and I th- think that it's something that it is you know allowed the Node community to be as awesome as it is. No, that's, that's a totally fair point. I, I just think that the the majority of consumers of NPM modules kind of. Uh, I, I don't know how many people actually do look that far into it. Um, you know, as you know, if you're pulling down underscore, how many times have you actually looked through the underscore source code to see how many little weird edge cases they're handling for you? You pull it down because it reduces your cognitive load about having to implement that over and over again. Um, you know, uh, that's just my argument of saying, like, you know, if, you, if you're going to go that far, chances are picking up CloudScript isn't going to slow you down that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be able to get the flow, and especially if you just at least output it to, you know, a compiled JavaScript file. You know, the CloudScript compilers do a relatively good job of creating decently readable JavaScript for you to parse through. I'll, I'll buy the the uh, sort of hacker user, you know, not not caring as much, but in Every production context that that I've uh, you know either worked with directly or you know help businesses uh, work on, you know understanding what you're actually putting into your production code is you know deeply important. And actually, the big the biggest challenge is you know farther down dependencies outside of your your direct toolchain. But you know I I think that it it is valuable to understand what you're what you're putting into your your code base if your uh users are going to depend on your service then you know you need to be able to make the the judgment call on whatever you put in that you know it's it's not crap it's not going to bring your service down and it's not going to do something that's that's in, you know unexpected and, and I completely buy that. I think that's. I think that's right. I just. I, I think it's. Uh, it's kind of funny um, how the people seem to me to to overemphasize in that community uh, how difficult CoffeeScript is to read. I mean, you're willing to spend an hour or say quite a lot longer, probably, uh, reading a library that you're that you're putting into your code base, and and you're not willing to take 15 minutes. I mean, it's so easy. It's so easy <laughs> to learn. It's like if you. I mean, if you know two programming languages. You know, figuring out what CoffeeScript is—I mean, from the, uh, you know, to the same level of detail as you uh, as you fig- you're figuring out a new library—is going to take no time at all. It's just so easy. Um, so I guess I, it, it seems funny that people are unwilling to um, to check that out. I mean, it seems harder to me to to understand something that's using like jQuery or something like that. Sure, right. Uh, which I've seen recently in a Node code base. Don't do that, folks. Don't stop. Inlining uh, jQuery. Yeah, pulling in jQuery using jQuery on the on on in your server code. Don't. No. no. Like JS DOM or something. Yeah, which which drags in the whole fucking JS DOM. Nope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the JS DOM is actually the the most brutal part of that the entire thing. But uh, yeah, uh, bad tool for the uh, um, the job there. Word. 
All right. So that's, uh, I think that's about going to uh, do it. Let me uh, flip over to IRC real quick and see if I have anything I missed. Thank you, IRCs. I, my connection to to Freenode today has been super flaky and bouncing on and off. So I hope I didn't miss anything essential. Uh, I want everyone to get their, their plugs ready. And if there's nothing else uh, that we want to cover in uh, CoffeeScript for CoffeeScripters, then we'll uh, plug away. Anything else before uh, we wrap it up? Mm-mm. All right. So. That was fantastic. I think this is uh, really helpful. And uh, I'm glad, glad it didn't get uh, too bloody. So, Spike, you want to kick us off with some plugs? Yeah, sure. I'm going to plug myself. So, right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what I've been working on in the last year or so has been this idea of isomorphic JavaScript, which is $10. Ten dollars right. word. <laughs> so, some way of you know, figuring out how to run some portion of your JavaScript app on the client and the server. So I've um, been doing some of this with the Render library. Go ahead and check out Render. It's, it's on the Airbnb GitHub repo. Um, but I'll be talking FluentConf and hopefully JSConf in Florida on this. So uh, come on by and check it out. And I also teach some workshops at General Assembly in San Francisco where we get down and dirty with Grunt and Browserify. So, yeah, airbnb.com slash jobs. Cool. David. Nice. Well, first, uh, I want to give a shout-out to the uh, amazing engineers on my team who are probably listening. Tom Hummel and Drew Stokes, you guys are amazing. Uh, and then next, uh, I want to talk about JSLA. So if you're in Los Angeles and you like uh, Node and JavaScript, you should definitely come to JSLA. It's uh, the last Thursday of every month. The next one is on the 27th, uh, February 27th at uh, Yahoo in Santa Monica. And uh, Mike uh, Matuzak is going to show us how to use Node to hack an NES. And he is going to present using a power glove. Um, Nice. It's going to be pretty rad. Uh, <laughs> I also want to say that you know, if you're listening to this show and, and uh, you want to speak at JSLA, we have an amazing uh, video team that records all the, the talks, uh, and we usually have a budget to fly people, fly people in every month. So uh, definitely get in touch with me. Um, and then if you're not in L.A. and you want to just watch the videos, they're just all on Vimeo, vimeo.com slash JSLA. Awesome. I'm going to plug Fog Creek because we're hiring uh, remote now. Uh, nice. I'm broadcasting live from sunny Honolulu. And uh, we have remote folks distributed uh, all over the country and elsewhere now. So, um, so give us a call. Uh, fogcreek.com slash careers.html. We're hiring for Trello front end, dev tools, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so as you're enjoying the sunshine, uh, I think the east coast of the United States is under a total blizzard shutdown or something like that. So, uh, yeah. Move to Hawaii and work remote. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Sean? Yeah, so I will start with plugging Groupon. Uh, We are hiring. If you love CoffeeScript or even if you hate it and you want to come convince us that we're doing everything wrong, uh, come work with us. We're hiring all over the world, uh, jobs.groupon.com. And then uh, two other small things, uh, both uh, sponsored by Sean Massa, who's uh, on my team. He's a big big member of the community out in Chicago. He runs the Chicago Node.js meetup. Uh, so if you look for meetup.com, Chicago-Node.js, he's going to be talking about 
uh, NodeOS at the next meeting. I think that's next week. And then also Testium. It's a uh, it's a uh, integration test framework, uh, basically Selenium web driver um, that's bound to uh, Node using synchronous uh, kind of a synchronous syntax. It's uh, pretty awesome. I definitely recommend using it. Whole thing is written in CoffeeScript. It actually has a CoffeeScript REPL in there, so uh, I would check that out. Uh, it would be GitHub slash Groupon slash Testium. Uh, we'll have the links up on the show notes. But that's that's all I got. Excellent. So a couple of node firm things coming up in March. Uh, have the next iteration of our online beta course with Trevor Norris focused on node performance analysis. Great course. You can find out more information about that at firm.io slash perf dash beta. Join in, get one of the, the last, I think there's only a couple more tickets left. So March 14th is the next date for that. And we're uh, setting up the, the Summer of Node. Uh, 2014's back going to be a Node firm internship focused on Node. We have some really cool projects. It is going to be primarily remote, but though we will probably be doing some sort of event together with uh, those that can come out. So, you know, if you remember the, the 2012 uh, iteration of Summer of Node, it was all, you know, you had to be in San Francisco, it led that up, and that was a constraint that I had at the time and uh, I, you know I really I had to turn down a you know, insane amount of people who just couldn't uh, uh, make the whole coming to San Francisco for the summer work so looking forward to, to that you know tapping in and uh, engaging the uh, node community worldwide so if you're looking for an internship this summer get in touch with me at dshaw at the node firm.com and uh, love to talk to you about that so, some quick upcoming events. Node Day at PayPal is coming on, uh, on the 28th, nodeday.com. Uh, JS Fest is coming up quickly in March, uh, jsfest.com. Michael Rogers is curating a uh, very innovative new approach to running a conference here in San Francisco. Looking forward to that, and I will be doing the next iteration of Node Up Live, a live event. And we've got some really cool stuff scheduled for that. So if you uh, if you watch the video of the first Note Up Live, uh, I salute you. You are a powerful human being, and you're able to put th- push through some really crazy stuff. Hopefully, we will uh, not be quite as drunk and disorderly this time around. FluentConf is coming up uh, March 13th through 11th through 13th. Is FluentConf sold out at this point? Anyone know? Anyone sure. needs? Okay, it's coming up soon. Paul Irish and his beautiful faces on the homepage. Go check that out. CampJS, definitely want to head that way if you are in the Asia-Pacific area. That's going to be March or April time frame in uh, Melbourne. Uh, CampJS.com. JSConfUS sold out. Uh, you know, not, not even worth mentioning, but May 28th through 30th. Uh, NodeConf is definitely worth mentioning. Uh, tickets are on sale now. July 4th weekend uh, here at beautiful Walker Creek Ranch. Great experience. And join the, the rest of the Node community at nodeconf.com. Follow NodeConf on the Twitters. Thank you all for, for making this uh, Coffee Script for, for Coffee Scripters episode amazing. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Tisha. Yeah, yeah it was great. Thank you. 
is awesome. Thanks, thanks a lot. So please leave a review in iTunes. It helps us get relevant in Apple's eyes. Be sure to follow NoteUp on the Twitters. And I, I think we're booked out completely right now with, with sponsors. Thank you for, for sponsoring NoteUp. But be sure to reach, reach out to NoteUp at gmail.com if you're interested in, uh, in sponsoring NoteUp. And uh, Craig will uh, send you information about how to support NoteUp. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.